The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. Do you smell what Barack is cooking? You didn't build that. I'll give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll, kiss. I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I am the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your industry malcontent and ATM of reckless opinion. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. And tonight I've got a mm, inaugural sip, a nice, uh, a nice blonde roast that's tasty. That'll give us the uh, energy to get through this thing and then go take my nap and go to work tomorrow. All right, so... Uh, welcome to the program, and uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping as usual. So first off, a thank you to Curtis85, who left a very kind review on iTunes. Thank you so much for that. I uh, deeply appreciate it, as always, and I am always honored and surprised to see that anybody listens to my show ever for any reason. I don't know why you guys like it, but I certainly appreciate you uh, for tuning in. All right. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, uh, you know, and you want to leave a review, please feel free and do so. Uh, it certainly helps uh, me out, helps the program out. That's nice. We love that. Uh, but if you're not enjoying it, then, you know, don't worry about the review. Just go do something else. Go find a show you do like. There's like a billion podcasts out there. There's like 15 podcasts on the OGGN network alone. They're all great. Go find something you like. My feelings won't be hurt. I won't even know about it. Anyway. Uh, but for those of you, uh, and, and especially tonight, Curtis85, thank you so much. Deeply appreciate it. All right. In other news, uh, I did my first ever straight razor shave by my own hand, and I did not die or lose a statistically significant amount of blood in the process. I'm very proud of that. Uh, you know, nothing nothing to remind you that you're alive, like uh, having a cold piece of... Uh, extremely sharp steel at your throat uh, for a period of time. First thing in the morning, that's that'll get that'll, that's, that's as good as a cup of coffee right there. Um, also, Bob Barker of the price is right has passed away. And those two facts, me having a sh- straight razor shave and Bob Barker passing away, not related. Uh, I didn't, I didn't kill him and uh, I did not Sweeney Todd him. They're just two things that happened in the past couple of days that are of note. So, uh, just put that out there. I'm I'm free and clear on that one. Okay, so tonight's show might as well be called "What's the fucking point?" That's what we might as well call this show because there's three things I'm going to talk about a little bit this evening, and, uh, uh, and maybe not "What's the fucking point?" More like um, 
I don't understand. Why, how did, I just don't understand. So we're going to talk about three things, and two of them I really just don't understand. Uh, the first we're going to talk about is um, the former leader of the Wagner Mercenary Company, uh, Perosian, who we've talked about at length in previous episodes, is um, not unlike Bob Barker, passed away also, not at my hand. I didn't do it. Uh, but I think we... <laughs> I think we all know who did, don't we? We got a pretty good idea, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about the recent news. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy talking about uh, impeaching Joe Biden, El Presidente. Uh, don't really know what the point is, but okay, let's talk about it. And then we're also going to talk about the BRICS meeting in South Africa and um, what that may or may not mean and what we ought to be thinking about that down the road. So let's start with the one. And that we start with here. Let's talk about Progrosion and Russia. So uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Progrosion was the head of the Wagner uh, military, um, uh, private military company based in Russia. And um, for the past couple of decades, he's been doing a huge amount of mercenary work for the Russian government. They've been all over Africa. They've been in lots of places in the Middle East, Syria, Lebanon, and, and thereabouts, um, hugely involved in Syria. And then they were also major, major uh, offensive forces in the Ukraine. Uh, now, Prigozhin was, uh, in so much as anybody could be considered a friend of Vladimir Putin, he was a friend. Um, he'd worked with the guy a long time. They hung out together some, evidently. They knew each other for a long time, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and so Prigozhin, where, where this is relevant, why we care, is you may recall you know, all of what, a month ago, maybe two months ago, not quite, uh, he decided to lead a mutiny against Vladimir Putin. He marched his army out of the Ukraine and into Russia towards Moscow, towards the capital, took a couple of towns along the way. He was being cheered in the streets by uh, the citizenry, and he was going to uh, go into Moscow and evidently, I don't know, take over, arrest Putin, seize the government, who the fuck knows what the ultimate plan was. And we probably never will know what the ultimate plan is um, since, uh, you know, Prigozhin got, um, gosh, I mean, what was it? It was like 50, 60 miles, maybe 100 miles from the uh, from the capital, you know, very close to hitting Moscow, and um, decided to do an about face and say, yeah, calling it off, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. We're not going to worry about it. No big deal. It's uh, it's over. It's done now. So this guy came frighteningly close, if you're Vladimir Putin, to taking Moscow. And, I mean, there was panic at Moscow. He had the National Guard called up. He had him digging trenches, trying to call in forces from Siberia. I mean, there was there was this whole thing where they weren't sure if they were going to be able to get military forces to the capital in time to defend it from this mercenary force literally rolling up to the gates of the Kremlin, kicking open the doors and saying, well, boys, we've seized it. What do we do now? And um, Progrosian just stopped, just laid down his arms and said, ah, yeah, we're done. Now, supposedly the backstory to this was that the president of Belarus, which is a strong Putin uh, ally, and in fact, a great number of people don't seem to realize this, but uh, Belarus and Russia have signed a treaty of union to take effect at some point in the future where they're going to merge the two company, the two countries together. And uh, so the president of Bel Belarus, uh, Lachenko or something like that, he um, he supposedly brokered some kind of a, a, a 
uh, ceasefire stand down with Progrosian. And Progrosian engaged, okay, when he did this mutiny, he engaged Russian forces. He took out multiple Russian aircraft, gunned them down. He took out Russian military forces on their march to Moscow, seized several cities. I mean, it was a full-on, on the the cusp of a civil war, okay? And, um, and then he just stopped and just said, oh, yeah, we're cool. And the ostensive deal was that Prokhorov was going to go to Belarus. He was going to live out the rest of his life there, effectively in exile. And uh, the president of Belarus was going to have all the Wagner soldiers come to Belarus, and they were going to train his military. And you know, this guy would never go back to Russia, and would never be a problem for Putin. You know, no harm, no foul. You know, we're just going to, you know, just all that'll go drifting away in the sea of God's forgetfulness. So that was the plan. Um. Unsurprisingly, Progrosian this past week died in a plane crash in a absolutely shocking and um, absolutely unforeseeable set of circumstances where he and several of the leaders of the Wagner military group uh, just they had a plane malfunction, went down and died. Womp womp, what are you going to do? Um, here's what I don't understand about all this. If you're somebody... And also, I don't think anybody on the planet is sur- surprised that he's dead, right? I mean, we we all knew this was the outcome. We knew that he was going to either get some some, uh, uh, you know, like uh, radiation in his tea, like that one anti-Putin dissident journalist got a number of years ago, or he was going to get somebody who was just going to pop him off with a rifle while he was driving down the street, or a plane crash. I mean, we all knew this was the outcome of this story, right? Here's what I don't get. Here's what I'm struggling to wrap my brain around. If you're Progrosian and you've been a relatively successful military leader, you've known Vladimir Putin for decades, you've worked for him for a long time, you've watched him deal with people that have questioned his authority in much less dramatic fashions than literally taking up arms against him. You've seen all this happen. You know the stakes of what you're about to do, and you decide to take up arms against Vladimir Putin. If I'm if Jordan is the guy doing this, even with what I know of Vladimir Putin and the uh, the politics of uh, rebelling against the apparatus of Russian government, uh, what did you think was going to happen when you surrendered? I mean, if it's me making that decision, it seems like just kind of seems like we all know how this is going to end, right? When you make that call. There's only two options. You either take the fucking capital and you seize the government, or you die in the attempt because there's no surrender. There's no standing down. There's certainly no hanging out and a deeply allied nation uh, thinking that the president of Belarus is going to be able to save you from the ravages of Vladimir Putin's vengeance. I mean, the moment he stood down, my my brain melted a little bit because I couldn't figure out what the play here is, right? You have to know you're a dead man, and sooner rather than later. Vladimir Putin's going to have you whacked before the end of the fiscal year. That's just how he does business. We've seen it time and time and time again. What was Progrosian's plan here? What did – surely he did not think that he was going to say, oops, sorry about that. And just walk away scot free with no kind of ramifications. Like I don't, 
I can't grasp what the thought process would have been that would have made him think that he would have made it to Christmas after deciding to mutiny against Vladimir Putin. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I, I, I need somebody to, to walk me through this. This was such an obvious outcome. And we all know, we all know, we all know it was Putin. I mean, Putin probably didn't personally gun the plane down, obviously, but he might have. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, really, really coincidental. Shocking. Positively shocking, uh, in the words of Sean Connery and, uh, and, uh, which bond was that? Ah, damn it. Thunderball. That's, that's the one. That's the one. Guy, my sip of my coffee. I need a little bit more thought juice. But yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand what Progosian thought was going to happen here. He was obviously a dead man the moment he, um, the moment he took up. I mean, he, if you're going to listen, listen. I, I have a handful of listeners in Russia. Uh, I think they're probably uh, maybe part of the hit team that's supposed to be taking me out in a plane crash at some point. Um, but but if any of you guys are not on the hit team that's supposed to take me out, and you're listening to this, and you're ever thinking about um, doing any kind of a rebellion against uh, Vladimir Putin, here's a pro tip. Here's a top tip for the episode. Just, just go all the way. Once you pick up that AK and you decide to march to the Capitol, you better fucking see it through because if you stand down, you're going to get whacked one way or the other. Putin don't take prisoners, okay? I feel like that's a fact that we all knew going into this, and evidently, Progrosian thought he knew better, and we can see that uh, that really wasn't the case. He went down like a flaming cattle car, and um, yeah, there we go. Shocking. Okay, so that's the first thing I don't get. I don't know why he thought he was going to make it any length of time. Um, I don't know what possible promises he could have. I, I don't know what could have been said to him by anyone that would give him any sense of security after deciding to march on Moscow, and I just don't get it. But here we are. Progosian's dead. Big shock. We're all surprised. I'm sure we all lost a lot of money on that. Okay, so the next thing we're going to talk about, and I'm actually going to jump to topic number three, is the BRICS conference that just wrapped up this past week in South Africa. Now, uh, if you don't know what BRICS is, B-R-I-C-S, it is an acronym, uh, or uh, perhaps more correctly, uh, no, that qualifies as an acronym, Uh, difference between acronym and initialism, look it up if you don't know, but BRICS, that's an acronym, that's proper. BRICS is a competitor to the G7, effectively. The G7 is basically an economic forum of allied nations that um, meets every so often to talk about, you know, economic things and and all of that. Um, BRICS is a counterweight to that that got formed back in around 2010. Uh, and it stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Now, they have a meeting uh, every so often. In this case, it was in South Africa, just wrapped up, where the heads of all these states go there and have their little chit-chat and powwow to talk about economic progress and things they're doing and all this. And what's particularly interesting about this is um, a few things. First off, uh, Putin did not attend. He attended uh, virtually. 
Um, South Africa did tell old Vladimir Putin that he would be given um, immunity to travel there uh, since Vladimir Putin has an international arrest warrant out for him for war crimes in the Ukraine. <laughs> so, uh, but Putin decided that those assurances probably weren't good enough. He was also, I would reckon, a little nervous leaving the motherland considering the fact there had just been this attempted mutiny from a close friend of his uh, – not all that long ago. So my guess is uh, Putin's probably not leaving his fortress of solitude wherever he's holed up right now. Uh, but at any rate, so they had this meeting, Putin attends virtually. And, um, you know, it's a whole lot of just economic forum stuff, nothing really too exciting. But what's interesting to me is look at this collection of nations that makes up this membership. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Now, China and Russia, we've talked about their reasons for having an alliance right now uh, economically and tacitly that, um, you know, and, and what I think the weak points in that are. We've talked um, a bit about that. We've talked a bit about, you know, how India is one of the largest, if not the largest weapons uh, purchaser from Russia. And they're also uh, becoming a very significant uh, crude oil and natural gas purchaser from uh, Russia as well. Um, but what's interesting is this is teed up, this BRICS is being teed up as a, um, and very openly, right? I mean, this is what Xi Jinping has said. This is what Vladimir Putin has said, is that this is a collection of nations to counter Western influence, to be an alternative to uh, NATO, and well, not really NATO so much, it's not a defensive alliance, but it'd be a counter to the, the G7 and the G5 and all that sort of thing. And um, it's very interesting. I mean, a lot of these nations do have complicated history, right? We've talked about the relationships between Russia and China. We've talked about the relationship between China and India. We've talked about um, uh, the relationship between Russia and India. Uh, and we even did a whole episode kind of talking about the current situation in South Africa. So it's fascinating to me. I bet they they made sure that whatever part of the city that the meeting was in was getting uh, proper <laughs> electricity, I bet. But – this is an interesting collection of nations that are pulling together, and, and they all kind of have an interesting history of um, not as strong democracy as you might like to see, right? I mean, we know that China and Russia are effectively dictatorships. Uh, we know South Africa has got a shaky relationship with democracy on the best of days, and Brazil has had their own um, issues with President Bolsonaro, uh, who's uh, – you're very much a flamboyant um, person that has talked about his idealization of dictators and his, uh, you know, he's got a whole thing there. We'll do an episode on that one of these days, maybe if I can find a way to shoehorn some sort of oil and gas um, angle to it. But at any rate, so this meeting happens and there are a lot of things being discussed. One of them is, you know, China and, and India are trying to figure out a way to sort out their border crisis through the Himalayans. It's obviously, they have, you know, the um, uh, sort of a perpetual low-level conflict. But among the other things discussed are the new countries slated to join BRICS. And you're going to notice a trend with several of these. Uh, well, a couple of them anyway. So new countries slated to join BRICS as of January 24th, or excuse me, January 2024, include Argentina, Egypt, Iran, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Now, what you're getting here 
is an interesting collection of nations that have kind of similar, you know, I mean, uh, Egypt's dabbled in dictatorships in the past. You've got Iran, which is a hardcore, you know, theocracy. And we've talked about the Russian and Iranian relationship a bit in the past. Uh, Ethiopia, I don't know off the top of my head, tremendous amount about their history. You've got Saudi Arabia, which is effectively a, uh, you know, an absolute monarchy, more or less. The UAE is very much a monarchy. It's it's very, it almost could seem, I mean, they're building a coalition, but a very specific type of governments. And that's very strong at the top uh, governments is what they're trying to make. And I mean, <clears throat> again, Putin and Xi Jinping have talked at length that they see this as a, a counter to Western power, right? Um Let's see here. There's a quote. I think it was from uh, 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 Xi Jinping here that I've got. If I can pull it up really quickly. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. If I can find it fast enough, maybe I'll. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, you got Vladimir Putin. So Vladimir Putin said that um, the goal of BRICS was to stifle the power of neoliberalism spreading from the West. Uh, and I think we all know what he means when he says the West, that poses a threat to traditional values in developing countries and the creation of a multipolar world where there's no one country or block that dominates it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not uh, definitely not a great thing. Now, one thing I will say about this is if you look at these countries, and I've, and I've talked about this at length, Several of these countries, especially the core ones, have very complicated relationships with each other. Uh, China and Russia have a relationship, in my opinion, of convenience. I still maintain that at some point in the next, you know, any time between, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it ten to ten to any time between now and I'm gonna say 2050. There's gonna be some kind of a divorce between China and Russia. Uh, in my opinion, I just don't think that's going to last. I think there's too many conflicting interests. India and China, likewise, have too many conflicting interests with the border and with water supplies in that region and all of that. Um, you know, I, even Iran, if they get involved in this, I mean, Iran's got a lot of issues with Russia that are not resolved. Uh also, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE being in the same block, I mean, those are three nations, especially Saudi and the UAE. I mean, they've got some issues with Iran. So, I mean, I don't know. I just – I don't see this – for the folks that are worried about BRICS being some sort of a formation of a an evil, overarching, sinister organization. I mean, listen, is it, is it a – you know, I mean – do I trust anything that Russia and China are concocting with other nations? The answer is no. But there is way too much internal strife between a lot of these member nations. What they all have in common is a desire to kind of do things uh, in a sense that's very different from you know Western-style democracies, quote-unquote. But there's way too many competing interests in this for that to be a, um, a real ongoing, continuing threat. I don't. Uh, I, I just don't see that being an ongoing thing. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but where it sits today is I think it looks good on paper, but I just don't think it's going to get anywhere, um, uh, anywhere serious. Okay. So let's see what we got next up on the old docket here. So the next thing I was going to tackle, 
And this gets back to the territory of what's the what's the plan, guys? What are we doing? I don't understand. Okay. So, Republicans threaten to impeach Biden over the Hunter Biden inquiry. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy suggests it might be time to pursue impeachment of El Presidente. Okay. And I'm going to find the um, the actual quote here from uh, from from our boy, Mister uh, Mister McCarthy, Representative, or actually not Representative Speaker McCarthy. Get our titles right here. Okay, uh, let's see here. So, and this is a quote. Uh, I was on with um, Fox News' Sean Hannity, evidently. Quote: We've only uh, we've only followed where the information has taken us, but Hannity. This is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress with the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. End quote. Okay. This is uh, not rhetorical. This is an honest question. What the fuck is the point of impeaching Biden? I'm, someone walk me through this because I don't get it. Okay. Let me okay. Let me let me let me try and grasp this, okay? So there's all this Hunter Biden stuff going on. Uh where Hunter Biden has done all sorts of actual criminal things and he's a scumbag and, and all of that. And he's you know was kicked out of the Navy and then he had a plea deal to try and get him out of his tax thing, but the judge didn't accept it. And there's just it's still an ongoing whole thing. Uh Hunter Biden, scumbag. There's no news there. We know Hunter Biden's a scumbag, and the whole purpose, ostensibly, as far as I can can figure here, is they're trying to tie in that Hunter, uh, you know, Hunter made comments that he that his dad, you know, was looking out for him, was doing all this. He used this sort of leverage to get money from people and to to get things done. Um, first off, the guy's a lying. The guy's a druggie. Like how much? Really, that's. Okay, I'm sure he said a lot of things, you know? I mean, is he really the standard evidence here? Um, you know, and yeah, maybe there's more to it than that. But I mean, listen, here's the thing. Okay, I don't get what the point of this is because we already know Hunter Biden's a scumbag. There's no news there. He's got criminal action going on, a criminal trial going on. That the courts will sort that out. It is what it is. That's being dealt with in the proper venue. Impeaching Biden, I don't know what you know. I know the Freedom Caucus has been pushing uh, Speaker McCarthy to do this, but I don't. Freedom Caucus brothers and sisters, if you listen to my show, what is the fucking plan here, guys? What are we trying to accomplish? Let me walk through this. Second, third order effect here, and let's just talk this out because I can't see it. Okay, impeaching Biden is not going to prove that Hunter Biden's a scumbag or any more. We already know that. All right, that's he's a scumbag. He's guilty. He needs to go to jail and get fined and all the things. Fine, go for it. Nobody, I, I think. <coughs> excuse me. I think even the most left leaning among us can acknowledge Hunter Biden's a scumbag. Uh, but do we really think that the sarcophagus of Joe Biden was in on any of this? Really? Do we think he was instrumental in any of Hunter Biden's criminal activities? 
Really? Joe Biden can barely string together a cogent sentence. He tripped over some fucking air that we had lying around on a stage a while back. Do we really think that Hunter Biden is really got his dad in there making moves, making power plays? Is that what we think we're going to get to the bottom of with an impeachment? Do we really think that's the case? He can't. Listen, it's the same argument I used to make with um, with liberals when it came to Bush. You can't tell me George Bush was an idiot, but also comma in the same breath he masterminded 9-11, okay? That's stupid. It's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. Have some intellectual honesty, right? Joe Biden can't be a doddering old fool that can't even navigate his way through uh, a fucking meeting and at the same time be masterminding his son's criminal endeavors, okay? Those two things can't be true at the same time. you got to pick one. Either Joe Biden's the greatest mastermind in the mall or he's just a doddering old man. And I think the evidence seems to imply he's a doddering old man. Now, so there's that. The second thing is that I don't get about this is what's the point? Why would we bother impeaching Joe Biden at this juncture, right? Think about this. To do an impeachment, you have to have a simple majority in the House to get articles of impeachment on the books, right? Currently, it's 222 Republicans versus 212 Democrats. It's a narrow margin, and that assumes that every single Republican or near as makes no difference every Republican is on board with this, uh, which clearly they're not. So aside from just looking like a bunch of idiots if they try and bring an article of impeachment forward and then it goes nowhere, what's the point? And then even let's pretend that you get an article of impeachment through the House of Representatives, which he could. I mean, McCarthy's got a very tenuous grasp on the House as it is, as evidenced by his barely getting elected after, what, 15 rounds of voting. Uh, But let's pretend you get the articles of impeachment through the House, which is the most doable part of this whole scheme. Okay, then you get it to the Senate. Democrats control the Senate, 51 to 49. And in order for a impeachment to be conviction in the Senate, you have to have a two-thirds supermajority. You mean to tell me that you've got such goods on the sarcophagus of Joe Biden that you're going to flip uh, 10-plus senators from the Democrats? I don't fucking buy it. I just don't think so. Doesn't seem very likely to me. So that means – that the reality of it is, is that you're going to ramrod, waste time on uh, impeachment to send it to the Senate where it's going to die because there's very, very little chance it'll even be discussed. Or uh, if it is, it's certainly not going to pass. I mean, right? You really think you're going to flip 10 plus senators? I don't think so. And the Democrats have way more of a reputation for eating their own than the Republicans do. And um, I just don't think there's going to be enough evidence for them to do that. And on top of that, let's pretend for a second that some bizarre fairy dust comes down and this actually happens, and you guys uh, manage to get uh, Biden impeached and convicted and he gets ousted from office. What's the big play here? What's the plan? Okay, you've impeached Biden. He's out of office. Now Kamala Harris is the president. Is that the master plan, guys? That's the solution? 
that political hellscape is what we're aiming for? That's the win? I mean, I, someone walk me through how this makes any kind of sense. Us, <clears throat> I don't see a win here. <clears throat> Even if everything happens, which it won't, your win is to get Kamala Harris. But Freedom Caucus and, uh, and, and, and Kevin McCarthy, are you guys working for the Democrats? Did I just unfoil a really deep? plan here is that what's happening is this a deep cover black op false flag thing because i don't know how the fuck this makes any kind of sense at all and i desperately need someone to explain to me what the actual strategy here is because right now it either looks really stupid or this is just a complete waste of your time and you're just doing it because it'll make you feel better in the moment which is almost more disappointing because here's the thing. Right now, there are real problems that you guys could be addressing. There's inflation. There's unnecessary government regulation in pretty much every fucking industry in the nation. There are international problems with, for instance, BRICS, a thing we should be keeping an eye on and doing something about, China or Russia, all these things uh, that actually need the federal government to be doing its job and minding and dealing with, right? And instead, you guys are monkeying about with this whole, oh, we're going to do an impeachment because that's going to solve all our problems. No, obviously, for, I can't be the only one looking at this going, uh, no. I mean, and I'm not joking. Someone explain to me where the win here is because as I see it, even the best case scenario is a dystopian hellscape. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing here. What are you doing? And I don't think Kevin uh, McCarthy, speaker of the house listens to my show, but if he does, I would like you to write me in and explain to me what the plan here is. I'll, I, j I just have to know because I'm not seeing it boys. I ain't seeing it. Okay. What are you thinking you're going to accomplish here? And never mind the fact that aside from the international stuff that can be dealt with, there's also very real infrastructure issues. There's real, you know, there's inflation. There's all of that going on. Um, uh, Republicans, guys, there's an election. And also, by the way, right, and here's the other thing as I'm just thinking about this, assuming you do get him impeached and you put – a uh, Vice President Harris in the Oval Office, which if, as far as I can tell seems to be the end goal of your master plan, genius boys, top notch, then what? This whole process will take, what, three to six months, which means at the absolute earliest it could theoretically happen is uh, around New Year's-ish. And so then what, we've got a year until whoever the new president is goes in, and maybe it's Harris, maybe it's Trump, maybe it's the Sanders, who the fuck knows. But the point is, this is a massive distraction when you should be trying to get voters to want to vote for you rather than just, and we're going to do an impeachment. I'm going to impeach the old man. For what point, people? Honestly, I don't get it. This is the opportunity to actually do some good. Don't just be obstructionist with everything the Democrats do. Present a better solution 
and then execute that solution rather than spinning your wheels on endless impeachment. When they impeach Trump, so we need to impeach Biden. Stop playing the childish game. Go do something useful. Here's an idea just while we're on the topic. Maybe you guys could solve our gargantuan deficit and massive fucking foreign debt. Could we maybe focus on that? No, no, we should definitely do an impeachment and try and get Kamala Harris put in office. That's that's the ticket, boys. That's what the voters want. Guys, someone needs to explain this to me because I am losing just uh, my brain is literally melting out of my out of my head into my headphones, and it's going to ruin them. And then business daddy liqueur is going to be pissed off that I've blown out another pair of headphones. I need someone to explain to me what the scheme here is, what the plan is, or am I just smarter than everyone in Washington? That can't be the answer. It better not be the answer. But um, damned if I can see what the long term plan here is, guys. You need to be focusing on the election. Focusing on actually trying to do something that's useful rather than just picking slap fights with the old man, okay? Uh, Because at the end of the day, when you do nonsense like this, all it's going to do is risk alienating the voters and revealing just how fractious your party is. So focus on doing something useful here. Anyway, if someone has some sort of a reason why this is a good idea or um, uh, beyond just, well, we don't like the guy, so I want to impeach him, um, write me in because I really – I don't get it. I have i don't know. I just don't know. Uh, y'all are going to fuck around and make me run for office one of these days, and nobody wants that. Anyway, uh, that is what I've got time for tonight. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. We will be doing um, – uh, I probably gotta do a show on this uh, bricks thing at some point. Maybe a few other things I got in the bag here, but um, also coming up in the near future is going to be a Q and A episode. Uh, so if you guys want, I've already got a stack of some questions to go through. But if anybody wants to get some questions in for the next Q and A, which we'll probably do in a week or two, uh, go ahead and fire those off to me, and I'll get them in the hopper there, and we'll have those locked and loaded. Uh, otherwise, this has been Jordan Driscoll reminding you: get your pets spayed and neutered. See you guys on the next one. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.